What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and not alongside me this week is Adam, proud Papa Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports with wacky ass hijinks and analysis. Normally, I'd ask Adam, how's it going, sir? However, Adam is on paternity leave from the podcast, and we assume from his job, but mostly from the podcast, uh, as his wonderful wife, Veronica, has given birth to their daughter, Liana Milagros Kalal. Uh, what a name. You will know when that girl enters the room. Um, beautiful looking kid. So proud of both of them. I've known Adam since, uh, God, since 1999. My dearest, dearest friend, and Veronica is also one of my dearest, dearest friends. Uh, couldn't be happier for both of them. It's a joyous time. Both uh, mother and child are safe, healthy, and happy. Uh, seen a lot of great pictures um, from both of them and videos. Uh, the, the the kid's amazing. Um, I'm at a loss for words, honestly. It, it makes me a little emotional. I, I love both of them so much, and I cannot wait to uh, meet Liana. She just looks like the ultimate bundle of joy, so so proud of, uh, of both of them. And can't wait to have Liana on the show at some point, some point soon, I hope. Um Flying solo this week for obvious reasons, as I just mentioned. So let's jump into it. Uh, this is being recorded right after Game 3 of the National League Division Series in 2023, where the Braves were absolutely destroyed by the Phillies by a count of 10-2. to 2. And what an odd series it's been. Braves dropped the first game 3-0, somehow come back in Game 2 and win 5-4 when Wheeler was throwing a no-hitter going into the fifth inning, I believe. Through... 15 innings or so of this series, uh, the Braves just didn't look like they had shown up. I mean, yes, Trey Turner makes this unbelievable uh, you know, play when the bases were loaded uh, in the fourth inning, and then we had runners on first and third you know, in the fifth inning, um, but we couldn't get it done, and the Braves were, were striking out more often than they usually do, looking lifeless at the plate. I think Wheeler struck out seven of the first nine batters he faced in game two. Um, we wasted a brilliant, not maybe not a brilliant start, but a very, very good start from Spencer Strider. Goes seven innings, only gives up one earned run. Um, but you know, game it didn't matter really. Game one, how many runs Strider gave up because we couldn't score, we couldn't get the job done. It looked like we were pressing, we looked out of sorts. Uh, it was it was an ugly game, but it was but the reason it was ugly is because we should have won it. It was like that game has served to you on a silver platter, not because Philly. Is, is vastly inferior to the Braves or anything, but Ranger Suarez is inferior to Spencer Strider. We should make that guy pay. We should be putting at least three or four runs against his name, and the fact that we couldn't do that uh, was frustrating. We lost in just anemic fashion, I felt like, in that first game. The second game looked just as anemic, and uh, you know, as I mentioned, I was at the game, and I was screaming at the top of my lungs from about the second inning on, just like, what are we doing, man? What are we doing? Our, our bats are lifeless. We're not working the count. Max Fried clearly wasn't ready um, from the blister thing. The 17 days of uh, being off clearly did not help him out at all. Uh, control was all over the place. Loaded the bases in the uh, in the first inning. Was very lucky to get away from that with only giving up one run. Uh, I mean, this this series could be over honestly if if the Phillies actually just held up there into the bargain offensively in Game Two. So we are very lucky to be in the situation where there's only two games to one. Um, Saying up again for a game one rematch tomorrow, 
I guess today when you're listening to this, between Spencer Strider and Ranger Suarez. But game three was just flat out disgusting. I've talked about this all year. Uh, I know Adam is going to be rolling his eyes if he listens to this. But, you know, the lack of pitching depth again just comes back to bite the Braves. Same thing that happened last year is happening this year. Now, uh, and, and not just for the pitching depth, but the lack of offensive performance has just been staggering. No one is doing anything. Acuna has finally woken up, got a couple of hits tonight, got on base a couple of times in game two, which was nice. Ozzy's gotten a few hits. Uh, Austin Riley, obviously, with the amazing home run in game two. Uh, Darno with his home run in game two as well. But it's it's been few and far between. Rosario looks terrible. Azuna finally got a hit tonight, but he's looked terrible, struck out a lot. Uh, Olsen hasn't done anything. Um, up and down the order. Mike Harris has done absolutely nothing offensively. Yeah, you know, he saved game two. I mean, it was one of the greatest plays I've ever seen where he doubled up Bryce Harper um, at the end of game two and and literally saved that game. I, I just can't get over how bad we've been offensively again. And I think part of it goes back to, um, you know, the layoff. The Phillies came in hot against Miami. They kicked their ass. They only had like one day off. Whereas the Braves had five days off, they did their simulated games and all that shit. But you know, it's one of those things where you know baseball players are creatures of habit. I mean, we all are creatures of habit, but in particular baseball players and, and athletes and you know people that are in really high pressure positions, right? I mean, you have your routine, you do your routine, you're efficient, you get things done, and you know preparation is the key to payoff. And if you're not preparing the same way that you are normally during the season because you're not, you know, going under the same grind, it's going to affect you. And the Braves looked literally like they had just, they were drunk. I mean, Eddie Rosario looked like he was wasted at the plate during game two when I was there. I was, I just couldn't believe it. Um, and finally they woke up. Finally they woke up in the sixth inning and saved their season for the time being. But I just can't get over how much this series is playing ex- out exactly like it did. And, uh, you know, last year, it's the same result split at home. Um, and you get your butt kicked in game three. And now it sets up for a game four where honestly, even though Strider's going with the way we got our asses kicked tonight, it's, it's, uh, I'm hard pressed to be super confident, but I think the, the big difference is, is that you do have your best pitcher going. Strider is still locked in. He's going to be pissed off tomorrow. He wants to save the season. You had the pitching advantage again. I really find it hard to believe that Ranger Suarez will beat us twice. Um, so I'm, I have a little optimism going into into Game Four, uh, solely for Spencer Strider, and and maybe the offense will wake up a little bit. But you know the Phillies just feel like they have our number in the playoffs, and I you know I'm I'm so I'm so sick of division titles and regular season records and all this stuff. It's not to say it isn't impressive. Like Acuna's season is unprecedented. Matt Olson has set franchise records with RBI and homers in a single season. Uh, Strider strikeout record, blah, 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 blah. 104 wins, second most in franchise history, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But no one's going to give a shit about that stuff if we don't get the job done. What matters is not individual accolades or even really like team-based accolades. The division titles don't matter. It helps you get to the playoffs, sure, but if you don't do anything with it, then what's the point? And I don't say that as like, you know, looking at Baltimore, who just got swept. Uh, had a, a, a great season, won the AL East, which objectively, at least from a, a, a winning percentage standpoint, was the most impressive division in all of baseball this year. But they got swept. But you know what? No one expected them to do that. No one expected them 
to make the playoffs, let alone be the number one seed in the American League. So it, it was a successful season for them, even though it was a disappointing inning. For the Braves to do, you know to play as well as they have all year and to get to this point and just look so listless for the most part is uh, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And uh, I mean, even if you know, baseball may change the way the seeds are done, may change the, the 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 how much time you have off next year because this is you know we've seen this the last two years. Like these layoffs do you know affect the higher seeded teams, but at the end of the day, the Houston Astros won the World Series last year, being the, and they got to buy. So I mean, either show up or get shown up. That's the name of this game, baby, as Joe the Show would say. So you, you can you can look at that and say, yes, it's definitely affected the Braves. But you also, if they can't rise above that, if they're not mentally tough enough to rise above that, and you're not ready to play when you actually absolutely have to, then what's the point? Like, you got to be mentally tougher. And the Braves have not been mentally tough, I feel like, since they clinched on at Citizens Bank Park a few weeks ago or a month ago, whenever the hell it was. They have coasted. They have coasted ever since that celebration. And I think, you know, there's a hangover effect from winning the division. It's like they let their foot off the gas. And, you know, you expect a little bit of that, uh, you know, the next series. You know, the Miami series, we got our butts kicked. It was like everybody was a little checked out. Okay, whatever. But then you got to get back on the horse. And they didn't do that. I don't know if it's a failure on Snickers' part, the coaching staff, the players, a collective. I'd say it's a collective. But you got to be focused, man. And these celebrations, winning division titles, I don't care. I don't care anymore. We've won six of these in a row. We've won, what, 23 in franchise history? I don't give a fuck about franchise. I mean, excuse me, division titles. All that matters is what you do with it. And the Braves, for the most part, you know, haven't done much with it. We've won two World Series out of 23 division titles. Five or six National League titles. And even in Snickers' tenure, there's only been two seasons of those six uh, division titles where they actually won a playoff round. Now, of course, you won the World Series. That was great. Unbelievable. Like, you know, you can't take anything away from that. But it's just year after year after year. Think about 2019, how disappointing that was. And, you know, losing in five games to St. Louis, and where you just shit the bed and gave up 10 runs in the first inning in game five. And uh, for some reason, didn't start a healthy Mike Soroka more than twice in a series and gave the ball to Dallas, Dallas Keiko twice. It's these kinds of decisions that really screw the Braves over. And they kind of did it again tonight. Um, you know, we knew the pitching situation was screwed. Lack of pitching depth has been a problem all season. Uh, Anthopoulos refused to address it. And before anyone says, well, we don't have the trade assets. And it brings it back to the Sean Murphy deal. On this podcast, like three, four months ago, I was like, Sean Murphy has the potential to be the greatest Braves catcher of all time. His first half was simply outstanding. 306, 400 on base percentage, a 599 slugging percentage. That is elite level production as MVP caliber production. Second half. It's 159, a 310 on base percentage, a 275 slugging percentage. And you could just see month over month, he just got worse and worse and worse, particularly just if you want to just go back to normal stats. You know, July hits 214, August 236, September 111. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. So terrible that he's been benched in the, in the playoffs. He played game one, didn't play game two, didn't play game three. This is the guy that this is the big offseason acquisition for us. 
And that's not to say Sean Murphy is dead to me or that he can't come back next year and have a good season. Something might be physically wrong with him that has affected his performance. It's such a precipitous drop-off. But he sort of regressed more to his career normal stats by the end of the season. Um, you know, he never had as prolific as an offensive season as he did in that first half of this year. But, you know, we traded all these guys, all these guys, and, and uh, you know, William Contreras for Sean Murphy in that three-team deal. And, you know, William Contreras had pretty much as good a season as Sean Murphy. If you really want to, if you really want to break it down and get analytical, very, very similar kind of season. He hit 291 with a 369 on base, a 459 slugging. Contrast that with Sean Murphy, 251 average, a 365 on base, 478 slugging. But the point is, is that you had a good catcher. You didn't need to give up a ton of prospects to go get another one that, yes, is a better defensive catcher, and yes, has the ability to be a better offensive catcher. But what you really needed after last season's debacle, where so many things that you couldn't anticipate popped up, is another starting pitcher. I would have preferred to use those prospects for an, an, another proven starting pitcher. Um, and before you go, who, who could it have been? Seattle has been trading their closers the last couple of years at the deadline. They, they, are, they are known for, they needed to improve their offense. So you could have kept Contreras, maybe thrown in Von Grissom, done something. I don't know. You know, Anthopoulos is good at making these kinds of deals. I'm sure he could have pulled off a similar deal for a good pitcher um, as opposed to getting a catcher, a position we didn't need to upgrade over a position that we absolutely needed to solidify. You went in the season with an old Charlie Morton who was terrible um, last year for the most part, uh, Spencer Strider who had just thrown his first full season, and you know Max Fried who we all trusted, fluky flu stuff, and Kyle Wright, who had never had a season like this. It was his really first full year as well. So you, you were just going into the season with four guys who you had a lot of questions about. Um, we just don't do anything. And now we're, we're, we're seeing how screwed we are in terms of pitching depth because, again, the same thing happened. Uh, you could, I mean, even if we just got one more person, just one more person, and even if you said, yes, uh, you know, Freed still has the blister problem. Yes, Charlie Morton dislocated his finger. Etc. 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 At least you would have had Strider, a somewhat competent Freed, and a decent pitcher, as opposed to Elder, who just fell apart uh, as the season went on, despite his strong first half. So I'm just saying, you had a perfectly competent catcher, more than competent, a good catcher who had a career best season this year, and also leaves uh, your most vulnerable part of your team uh, even more vulnerable than it was last year, which is hard to do. And I'm just surprised that after. What happened last year, Anthopolis didn't say, oh, I need to make sure that the rotation is solidified and we have at least one more solid solid piece in there to make sure that if guys go down at the end of the season, we'll at least be able to, you know, bear, you know, weather the storm a little bit more. He didn't do that. And I think it's just an absolute failure on his part. Shouldn't have made the Sean Murphy trade. As much as I like him, as much value as he provides when he's right, the pitching staff just has a whole, a big, big hole in it. And you face even more questions going into the next year with Charlie Morton's age, um, Bryce Elder's ability to come back from this, you know, horrific second half. Um, you know, next year could be the last year of Max Freed. Kyle Wright is going to miss the entire season next year. Uh, he's having surgery. So your pitching, your rotation, again, is in shambles. You'll have Strider and Freed. 
maybe Charlie Morton. Maybe you had those same three guys, but after that, who the hell do you got? It's the same. <laughs> it's the same problem. And do you really want to exercise Charlie Morton's $23 million option? I don't know. I'm surly. I'm a little pissed off. I'm trying to control myself. But it is, uh, it's just been... It's been disappointing, man. This has just been a really lackluster effort. Elder gets absolutely slaughtered tonight. Seven earned runs, multiple home runs. He looked good the first couple of innings. Struck out four Phillies. He was even working the ball up, and they were missing it. But you know, maybe some of that was due to the five o'clock game start, where no one could see anything, uh, the shadows and whatnot. Because once the sun started going down, uh, the Phillies started hitting home runs. Castellanos hits a home run, uh, ties the game at one. At that point, it should have been easy. Just pull him pull him but no we let two more base runners get on uh and then harper hits a three-run homer effectively ending the game and for anyone that's upset about bryce harper um not effectively ending it but it, you know gave philly a huge advantage which they just continue to run away with the game at that point uh if anyone's mad at bryce harper for that you know that cutthroat thing he did uh when he was crossing home plate don't get mad get better think of all the times acuna's done his little sidestep uh, during the home run or waved his hands in the air when he does a home run um, or whatever, you know? I'm, I'm not angry at Bryce Harper. I mean, I hate Bryce Harper. We all hate, have a healthy hatred for Bryce Harper, a respectful hatred. But you can't get upset about that when you're getting your ass kicked. You go back to, like, who was starting this game, and it's like Anthopolis chose something he wanted over something we actually needed. I uh, love the guy. He's a huge reason as to why we've had the success we've had. He's assembled a, a great team overall, but it's a team that is shaky as hell in the playoffs. So it's a problem. And he had the opportunity to do it, decided to make the Sean Murphy trade, and now we are where we are. We're, we are at a point now where this guy, we trade all these prospects for the supposed catcher of the future, isn't even playing, isn't even playing the National League Division Series. So yeah, we just get destroyed. And I, and I really just don't understand why you'd even have Bryce Elder on this, on this postseason roster. Uh, quite frankly... It's just ridiculous considering how bad he was uh, in the second half. A 5.11 ERA, a 4.87 FIP, a 1.36 whip in the second half. And it just, you know, September was one of his worst months, a 5.68 ERA. It's not like he picked it up down the stretch or something like Aaron Nola did. Uh, he's been just frankly awful since July. So what are we doing? Why is he starting the game? And you could argue, yeah, Smith Shaver might have fared a little better, and he looked okay when he came in when the game was sort of out of reach, but he also gave up like three home runs. So it doesn't really matter who you throw in this game, given where the pitching staff was at. This was a punt game pretty much because of um, the health of your rotation and the lack of depth in your rotation. Now everything falls on the strider. And not only is he pitching to save the season, but he's pretty much got to do it himself because the offense has only scored seven runs through, what is it, three games? Whereas the Phillies have scored 17. So you're, you're, you're down by, you have a negative 10 run differential with an offense that just looks pretty much listless and overmatched. I mean, you, you looked at those, those bullpen guys in game one. They just blew right through us. Blew right through us, no problem. And you look at Wheeler. Wheeler crushed us until we finally figured out how to play baseball again, which was encouraging. But tonight, Nola, very sharp. Very sharp overall. Even though he got in a little trouble, he got out of it. But I just I just look at tomorrow, and it's just it's really hard to be confident in this team with the offense. I'm confident in the Strider. I just don't think the offense has it in them to to make it happen. Um, I'm really concerned about that. And then even if you win, right? Even if you win, you come back to Atlanta, you got to face Wheeler, and you know he wants another chance. You know he wants another chance after he was pitching a no no through five. 
And is Max Fried going to be all right if there's a game five? He looked awful. You think he shakes off the rust after one start in 17 games or 17 days? Uh, yeah, we're in, we're in a bad we're in a bad position, a really bad position, and um, it's sort of just kind of proving this narrative again, which is weird because if you look at these two teams where they were, or the two Braves teams, the 2022 team versus the 2023 team, we were in a much better spot overall in terms of not the ro- the rotation is pretty much in the same spot, unfortunately, but the offense, Olson, Acuna. Ozuna, Albies, uh, you know, Albies was actually there. Albies didn't play in the series last year, but those other three guys are just having amazing seasons, much better seasons than they had last year. And still, still, we can't get anything going. And really the only thing that can be done is Strider's got to throw another seven-inning start, give up one or two runs, and hope the offense has an answer for Ranger Suarez. And that, you know, if... He gives them an inch like he did in game one that they got to capitalize on it. People have to step up and play to their ability. The Phillies just seem like they're on the revenge tour. They, they want it more. They're hungrier. Their at-bats are better. Um, their pitching's better. Everything about what they've done is better. It took a freak comeback down 4 nothing against an elite bullpen and an elite starting pitcher uh, for us to be in the series. And it was a good comeback, but it was like, man— and uh, we'll have to just hope and, and pray that they can take two, two straight games from the team I would say is the best team left in the, in the tournament. In other news, Falcons won. Falcons won a game for the first time in a few weeks. Falcons beat the Texans 21-19 at home. Uh, it was a very exciting game, and Desmond Ritter had his easily the best game of his career, going 28-37 for 329 yards and a touchdown and completed at least one pass to 10 different receivers. He looked, I don't know, I wouldn't say he looked like a completely different quarterback out there. There's still a lot of the same problems. Pocket awareness isn't great. Too long of a windup. Uh, still locks on to a receiver, uh, one receiver more often than he should. But he was getting the ball a little faster. He was more confident in his throws. He stepped up in the pocket a little bit more than he usually does. Uh, I liked what I saw from Desmond. It showed me that, all right, it's trending a little bit more in the right direction. Now that's not to say the Texans... Uh, you know, the Texans' defense is a world beater or anything. But overall, and we still had a number of drives that stalled out and things like that, and we went, you know, completely scoreless in the second quarter and the third quarter. But, you know, a lot like the Packers game, Ritter turned it on in the in the fourth quarter. Um, Falcons scored 14 points in that quarter, went a very close one, 21-19. The defense did a great job of holding the Texans, just absolutely holding them without a touchdown to the fourth quarter. A lot of bend-but-don't-break defense. Five passes defended. Grady got his paws on one. Um, you know, great Jesse Bates got one. D. Alford was very active, had two. One guy that we haven't talked about at all in this show is Nate Whamman, who's replaced Tyler Anderson. Uh, I like him more, I would say, than Tyler Anderson so far. Uh, he had one tackle in particular in the second corner on one of the uh, – I can't remember if it was one of the, one of the receivers or – uh, running back was a short short pass, and he was just right at the point of attack, tackled the guy at the line of scrimmage, keeps people in front of him. This is not a Paul, Paul Warlow kind of guy where it's like, all right, they get 15 yards of the field, and here comes Paul Warlow chasing them, and he's going to get 195 tackles and lead the team in tackles, but they're all like you know, 10, 15 yards of the field. No, this guy is hitting people absolutely where they need to be hit, around the line of scrimmage, or if it's not the line of scrimmage, he's keeping them in front of him. They're getting the ball. He's making the tackle. 
So I, I really like what I'm seeing from Nate Lambin a lot. Um, I think he's been outstanding in the in replacing uh, the injured Tyler Anderson. Still no sacks. Still no sacks. At least we've got four tackles for a loss, but no sacks. Like the Braves with the with the rotation stuff, the Falcons don't seem to care as much about attacking the quarterback. We would rather just have a bunch of skill position players. But at least the skill position players showed up. Um, Pitts, seven receptions, 87 yards, his best game of the year. London, six receptions, 78 yards. Johnny Smith also turned another good game, six for 67. Those are your three main guys doing the damage to the air. Um, so that was that was really great to see them come to life because there, there were, I mean, it just seemed like every week Pitts, two for 21, two for 19, one for 15. Drake London just had a big old donut one week where he got no no catches. So it was great seeing you know us utilize those guys. And like like I said, I mean, uh, we threw the ball more than we we ran it. And this this was this Texans defense did a really good job containing both Robinson and Algier, who combined only for 86 yards on the ground, 14 for 46 for Bijan, Algier 17 for 40. That's a 3.3 average per carry and uh, for Robinson, 2.4 for Algier. That is not good. That is not good at all. Um, they were stifled. They were stymied. We only averaged as a team 2.7 yards on the ground per carry. When Desmond Ritter absolutely had to step up and make plays in order for us to win the game with his arm, he did it. And he almost threw for four, you know, 40 times, and he got the job done, man. I, I, was, I was impressed by the kid. It was a really great um, Really great game-winning drive. He just looked so much more confident. His body language, just everything about him on Sunday. Uh, you know, I'm not sitting here to say that I think he's the guy. I still think he kind of maybe still sucks. But uh, at least today, the Desmond Ritter stands can can say he looked pretty damn good. And I hope that this continues. I really do. Um, it's going to have a tougher challenge from a pass rushing standpoint this week. He was not sacked at all by Houston, uh, whereas the commanders do have a pretty solid defensive front, so they will probably get more pressure on Ritter. But credit where credit's due to the offensive line for actually stepping up more in pass protection and for Ritter getting the ball out faster and distributing the ball, like I said, 10 different receivers and getting his top two targets involved and uh, present in this game. So solid win overall for the Falcons. And, uh, you know, even though that defense still can't get sacks and Arthur Smith just drugs it off and says, oh, you know, sacks would be great, but at least we're getting some pressure on the quarterback. And I think we have uh, 39 total, uh, you know, in, I don't know what they're called, but something like impact plays on a quarterback where you're either sacking them, pre- uh, pressuring them or hitting them or something like that. I don't really care about any of that shit. I would like to see more sacks because even though it's like, yes, you're affecting the quarterback, um, sack is a hell of a lot better than just disrupting something. Yes, it's great to disrupt things, but the sack's where it's at. And that obviously looks a lot better when you're three and two as opposed to one and four saying, oh, five sacks, not really that big of a deal. It doesn't really matter. Yes, it does, Arthur. We need to get more sacks, man. Come on. We absolutely need to get more sacks. I know it's not totally on you or anything, but I just I just hate those stock answers like that. Just the same thing where he was like, it's not fantasy football when Kyle Pitts was getting two catches for 21 yards. It's like, yes, but stats matter and stats help you win games. Um, so when you see a team with only five sacks through five games, uh, that's dog shit. I'm sorry, but the defense overall still playing a good brand of Ben, but don't break as much shit as I just gave him there. They're still holding teams, uh, you know, to like 
19, 20 points a game, things like that, low 20s. They're, they're, they're giving the offense every single uh, opportunity to win the game, which they did this week. They actually scored more than seven points. It's a freaking miracle. Um, enjoyed this game. And also, B. John Robinson, despite the fact that he didn't really get much going on the ground, still had an amazing uh, touchdown reception, which was a pitch by Ritter that was a little off target. But again, Bijan just reached out one hand like the wizard he is, cradles the ball, makes a guy miss, gets in the end zone. Um, I can't get over, and I think that was the game-winning score. Like He is a very special talent, very special talent. There's no denying it. As much as I want a beast of a defensive end, I can't deny how good Bijan is. Um, and just the maturity he shows and the poise, even when the game's not going well for him individually, he comes in and, and makes that play and has the wherewithal to, you know, find the ball, catch it with one hand, and get in the end zone. Just like almost all in one fluid motion. He's, he's an incredible player. So the Commanders come in 2-3 and three right now. They had a really embarrassing loss um, to Chicago, who had not won in 14 or 15 games or something like that. They've lost three in a row. Um, and... I don't know really what to make of them. I really don't. They've had a weird schedule where they opened with the Cardinals and Broncos and barely survived both of those games against, you know, the Cardinals are scrappy. They play hard every week. The Broncos are pretty dog shit. They only beat the Broncos by two points. Um, And then, you know, they get lacerated by the Bills. They play the Eagles hard but still lose, and then they get crushed by the Bears. So they're, they're a weird team, but they can definitely rise to the occasion. And, uh, you know, they got guys like Terry McLaurin, who's a, a really good receiver. He's got 261 receiving yards this year. Sam Howell has been interesting, to say the least. Six, touch, six touchdowns and six interceptions. So he sort of has a uh, Jameis Winston thing going on with, you know, the, the touchdown to interception ratio being like even. So, but he, he's kind of a gunslinger kind of, kind of player. But he's also... Uh, you know, he threw four picks in that game against Buffalo. So this is somebody that maybe Jesse Bates can feast on and uh, in, in this secondary. So we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out uh, this coming week. But I think one thing, like I mentioned earlier about this team, is their ability to rush the quarterback. This is a team with 16 sacks on the season, uh, led by Montez Sweat and Chase Young and Jonathan Allen, who are a fearsome uh, front three. So Sweat has four and a half sacks. Chase Young has three. Jonathan Allen has three. Uh, these guys know how to get after the quarterback. The offense better be aware of them, which I'm sure they are, but they better think of ways to disrupt these guys because you can't really double team any of them because they all have the ability to get the quarterback uh, pretty proficiently. This isn't one of those things where it's like, yep, we're just going to double team Grady Jarrett and uh, our quarterback's going to have a clean pocket. That's like, nope. You double-team te- double Montez Sweat, Chase Young's going to come from the other end. You double-team Jonathan Allen on, on the inside, that's going to affect uh, you know, blocking Younger Sweat on the outside. So I think a big thing for this week when you're talking about facing the commanders is finding a way for Desmond to get the ball out faster and making sure the offensive line can protect him. I don't think he's going to – he's not going to have as clean a pocket as he did this week. He's probably not going to have as good of a game as he did this week. But, again, Desmond Ritter – doesn't lose at home. Hasn't lost since his junior year in high school at home. Every single Falcons win has been at home um, this year. So, again, we're playing at, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium on Sunday. So, we'll see if the streak can continue. But he is going to have a much, much more formidable pass rush this week than he did last week. 
in terms of predictions, I think the Falcons find a way to pull it out. Uh, I'm not scared of Sam Howell. Um, you know, I'm not really scared of, of Brian Robinson. Their lead running back has uh, 271 yards on the ground so far this year. It only averages four yards a carry. Solid, but you know, nothing to to write home about. I think the only guy that you know really, you, I guess the two guys you got to be kind of concerned about are Logan Thomas and Terry McLaurin on the receiving end. But I'm much more concerned about that defense. Man, the defensive front is scary. They're going to be coming after our boy Desmond Ritter all day long. That's what's going to come down to. Falcons should be able to hold the commanders to probably like, you know, the classic 19, 20 points, maybe get some quarterback pressures in there since sacks are too hard for us. But the defense should should hold up its end of the bargain. The offense, on the other hand, uh, you know, it could be a long day at the office if, you know, guys like Lindstrom, Dahlman, McGarry, uh, you know, continue having, I don't know, just an inability to protect the quarterback. So, Watch for that on Sunday. That's going to be the, that's going to decide the game. If the commander's able to get like six or seven sacks, we're probably screwed. If not, if we able to maybe limit it to two and Ritter's actually able to have some time back there with his long-ass windup, we should be able to pull this out. I think this is the Falcons' game to lose. They just got to protect the quarterback. Another Falcons news, Falcons made a trade. Who do you think they traded for, if you don't know? Just... What, what what position do you think the Falcons traded for? You think they traded for I don't know an offensive lineman, maybe a center to come in and help, uh, you know, solidify this offensive line, a defensive end, perhaps to get pressure on the quarterback, another linebacker, maybe to add some depth given the loss of Tyler Anderson. No, you know Terry Fontenot at this point, boys and girls. You know what Terry Fontenot likes. He likes wide receivers. He loves skill position players. The Falcons have traded. Uh, for Van Jefferson of the L.A. Rams, the Falcons received a seventh-round pick in the 2025 draft um, in exchange for a 2025 sixth-round pick, so that's pretty much a toss-up. Um, and Van Jefferson's a guy that I used to like a lot when I was uh, on the DraftKings kick, uh, particularly in 2021 when he had 802 catches for or sorry, 802 catches would be insane. 802 yards and 50 catches in that 2021 season. He's a guy that's really known for, uh, you know, being someone that can extend the field. Long vertical passing plays are his specialty. Pretty fast guy. Um, but unfortunately, he's got banged up in 2022 and uh, has had a pretty slow start to 2023. Only eight catches for 108 yards, no touchdowns. And the, the Rams have... You know, they got Cooper Cup back. Uh, they have this brilliant receiving tandem and Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell, who are just all over the place catching multiple balls from Matt Stafford. Van Jefferson's the odd man out of that receiving core. So it makes sense that the Rams would be looking for move him. It doesn't really make sense to me why we would trade for him. Um, even though you could say the receiving room isn't great. Like Matt Collins has been okay. Drake London we know is really good. And after that, there's there's no one. But you can't really say that because Johnny Smith and is there, and he's been a contributor all year. And Kyle Pitts maybe has awoken from his slumber, or maybe he's, you know forming more of a rapport with Ritter. So it's like you have plenty of receiving options. Like I know that Carter O'Hodge and Scotty Miller haven't done anything this year, particularly Miller. It's like two catches for ten yards, but. It's not like this is not really again, it's not a position of need where it's like I really need to go get this guy. And obviously you're not giving up a lot for him, so it doesn't really matter. But I thought with the Falcons clearing a lot of cap space, not a lot of cap space, but I don't know, it was like seven, eight, nine million dollars or something like that. Uh restructuring, I believe Jake Matthews contract a couple weeks ago. I was like, maybe they'll make a move for 
the trenches. But, uh, you know, why do I even think that with Terry Fontenot? Of course, he's he's doing this partially probably just to get Van Jefferson. So this can help. And he is a guy, like I said, who's, who spreads the field. Awesome job at doing that. I also learned this week after looking at this a little bit more. He's a really good run blocking receiver that obviously fits in really well with Arthur, Arthur Smith's scheme. So maybe that can make our run game even stronger. So, okay. I, I, I see where their head's at maybe. But um, we also don't know how healthy Van Jefferson is. I haven't seen him. I've watched a couple of Rams, ga- Rams games. And I haven't even noticed when he's been on the field this year. So we'll see how he fits in here. I doubt he's going to play this week. He's probably getting caught up to speed. Um, I imagine maybe he sees the field, maybe he doesn't. But I would say next week, expect to see Van Jefferson out there. Look for him to contribute as a uh, as a as a run blocker, and maybe he can stretch the field and get a long pass. That would be that'd be cool because if he's if he can get back to what he was in 2021, which I believe is the year the Rams won the Super Bowl. I mean, it was pretty damn impressive when he was able to break away from cornerbacks and safety. He, he's kind of like the like a like like not quite as good of a, of a receiver as Deshaun Jackson. He's like a he's like a poor man's Deshaun Jackson kind of thing. When Deshaun Jackson was really good, um, just, he, he's got electric speed, big playability. So hopefully he can do that and contribute in the. In the uh, in the run game as a blocker and be a valuable contributor to the Falcons. But that's really it for the Falcons report this week. Don't have much else to really go over. I'm also, I'll be honest with you guys, I'm a little tired. That whole dog walking business. You know, I was promoting where I was like, sign up now and with this promo code and all that stuff. I'm gonna run ragged, man. I'm getting run ragged. Uh, it's fun out there, but I, I, I will not be offering that promo code to anybody else because I have too many people now. Um, so that's what's happening with me. Uh, don't know if we'll have a normal show next week with Adam. Uh, you know, it's totally up to him. But again, big shout out. Much love to him, V, and baby Liana. This beautiful, wonderful family coming together. And uh, like I said, can't wait to have her on the show someday. So... If you know Adam, I know many of you know Adam and listen to the show have uh, shared your your well wishes to him. But uh, even if you never reached out to the show, you don't even have to reach out if, if you haven't. But just send Adam good Adam and Veronica and Liana good vibes. Good vibes. Uh, it's a really special time in their lives and the lives of those that love them. So that's all we got for this week. And... Uh, We'll see you next week. Hopefully I'll be a little more awake, and hopefully the Braves will still be alive. Until then, rise up, chop on, unite, and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitality.